0: Hello and welcome to Voices from the Battlefield, part of Waterloo Remembered. The next extract is introduced by historian Silvia Gregorio Sainth and consists of the recollections of Miguel Alava. It is a real pleasure for me to join you today in this worldwide event to celebrate the 205th anniversary of Waterloo. My contribution to remembrance consists in sharing with you the extract of a rather forgotten report by the privileged Spanish witness and Wellington's close friend, General Miguel de Lava. This text, dated on June the 20th in 1815, was originally printed in the Gazette of Madrid on July the 13th and translated into English in John Patrick Barrel's official bulletins of the Battle of Waterloo in the original languages with translations into English. General Alava is said to have been the only man to have fought in the two greatest battles in the period, Trafalgar and Waterloo. He was a direct eyewitness of the events that developed on June the 18th, fighting side by side with Wellington as military attaché in the Duke's staff. The relevance of this text lies in the description of the military operations, and more importantly, in the Lava's perception of the consequences this battle had for the world Napoleon and Wellington. Being his liaison officer during the Peninsula War, the Spanish General and the Duke had established a very close and long lasting friendship that seems evident in this extract. After praising Wellington's military skills and performance that day, Lava shows the more personal human side of this figure they could not refrain from crying at the loss of so many lives that is what I found more interesting being the only one in Wellington's staff to accompany the duke at the famous dinner table in the headquarters on the night of June 18th alava also witnessed Wellington's state of mind after the battle and the impact he left on the duke but let me pass the floor to lava himself I joined the army on the morning of the 18th, though I had received no orders to that effect, because I believed that I should thus best serve His Majesty, and at the same time fulfil Your Excellency's directions, and this determination has afforded me the satisfaction of having been present at the most important battle that had been fought for many centuries, in its consequences, its duration, and the talents of the chiefs in both sides and because the peace of the world and the future security of all Europe may be said to have depended on its result. The position occupied by his lordship was very good, but towards the centre it had various weak points which required good troops to guard them, and much science and skill on the part of the general-in-chief. These qualifications were, however, to be found in abundance in the British troops and their illustrious commander. And it may be asserted, without offence to anyone, that to them both belongs the chief part or all glory of this memorable day. At half past ten a movement was observed on the enemy's line and many officers were seen coming from and going to a particular point where there was a considerable corpse of infantry, which we afterwards understood to be the imperial guard. Here was Bonaparte in person and from this point issued all orders. In the meantime, the enemy's masses were forming and everything announced the approaching combat, which began at half past eleven, the enemy attacking with one of his corps and with his usual shouts the country house on the right. Lord Wellington sent fresh English troops who recovered the wood and garden and the combat ceased for the present on this side. The enemy then opened a horrible fire of artillery and the cover of which Bonaparte made a general attack from the centre to the right, with infantry and cavalry in such numbers that it required all the skill of his lordship to pose his troops and all the good qualities of the latter to resist the attack. At this time, news arrived that the Prussian corps of Bulow had reached St. Lambert and that priest Blucher, with another under the orders of General Tilman, was advancing with the utmost haste to take part in the battle. Bonaparte, who did not believe the Prussians to be so near, and who reckoned upon destroying Lord Wellington before their arrival, perceived that in the critical position in which he was then placed, there remained no other resource but but that of desperately attacking the weak part of the English position, and thus, if possible, beating the Duke before his right was turned and attacked by the Prussians. Henceforward, therefore, the whole was a repetition of attacks by cavalry and infantry, supported by more than 300 pieces of artillery, which unfortunately made horrible ravages in our line. At last, about seven in the evening, Bonaparte made a last effort, and putting himself at the head of his guards, attacked the above point of the English position with such vigour that he drove back the Brunswickers who occupied part of it. And for a moment the victory was undecided, and even more than doubtful. The duke, who felt that the moment was most critical spoke to the Brunswick troops with that ascendancy which every great man possesses, made them return to the church, and putting himself at the head, again restored the combat, exposing himself to every kind of personal danger. Fortunately, at this moment we perceived the fire of Marshal Blucher attacking the enemy's right with his usual impetuosity, and the moment of the decisive attack being come the duke put himself at the head of the English foot guards, spoke a few words to them, which were replied to by General Hurrah, and his grace himself, guiding them on, with his hand, the march the point of the bayonet, to come to close action with the imperial guard. But these latter began a retreat, which soon became a complete flight, and the most total rout that had ever been beheld. The duke continued the pursuit to near Genappe, where he found the venerable Blucher, and where they embraced each other in the most cordial manner in the crossroad of Charleroi. And now, finding himself at the same point with the Prussians, and as his army required repose after such a struggle, he left the care of the pursuit to Blucher. Bonaparte, shaken on his usurped throne, without money and without troops to recruit his army, has received so fatal a blow that, according to what the prisoners say, he has no other resource left to him but to cut his throat. I've said in my letter of the 16th that his manoeuvres appeared to me rushed before such generals as Blücher and the Duke. The event has fully justified my prediction And I think that his execution of them could only have arisen from his despair at seeing such enormous forces assailing him on all sides of France, and with the design of striking one of his accustomed blows before the arrival of the Russians and Austrians. Finally, that talisman which, like a charm, held the French soldiery under enchantment was upon this occasion broken and Bonaparte has lost forever the reputation of being invincible, which has passed over to a man who for the future, far from employing that glorious reputation in disturbing, enslaving Europe, will convert it into means of her felicity, and of procuring for her that peace of which she is so much in need. The loss of the English is tremendous, and of all those who were immediately about the Duke's person, himself and I alone were untouched in our persons and horses. All the rest were either killed or wounded, or lost one or more horses. The two could not refrain from tears at the sight of so many honourable and brave men slain, and the loss of so many friends and faithful companions, and the greatness of the victory alone could alleviate so immense a loss. I cannot conclude this dispatch without mentioning to Your Excellency, for the favourable notice of His Majesty, Captain Nicholas Minisa of the Regiment of Sharpshooters of Doyle. He conducted himself on this last occasion with the greatest valour and intrepidity, and his former conduct, as well as his conduct on that day, renders him worthy that His Majesty should confirm him some mark of his satisfaction. Thank you. That was historian Silvio Gregorio Sainz reading the recollections of Miguel Alava. Stay tuned to the Napoleonicist, where more instalments of the Voices from the Battlefield series will be released throughout the day.